and welcome to episode 46 of Slaytanic Vercast. I'm Mo from... Hold on. What's this? Why the fuck are you giving me this name? Can't you see I'm recording? But, yeah, but the timing's terrible. Just fuck off. Get the fuck out of here. Um, I'm Mo from France, and I've just been handed this sheet of paper from my lawyer to read out. I, Mo from France, acknowledge that during last week's episode, entitled Cleanse the Soul, I was, on occasion, intoxicated. This is unacceptable and unfair on my co-host, Dr. Dequescence of No Fixed Address, the surviving members of Slayer, and, most importantly, you, the listener. Mo from France commits to reasonable levels of sobriety from this point forward, and also guarantees that he will no longer drunkenly throw around upsetting, hate-filled, racist words like tosser, gonad, and hymen. To anyone who feels that their rights as a human being to pass through life unimpinged by distress and discomfort, Mo from France offers his unreserved apologies and vows to be a better person in future, and has offered this further statement by way of explanation, clarification, and as a demonstration of remorse. Quote, as a person, I set myself the highest standards. On this occasion, I fell far short of these standards. I understand the upset that my actions caused. I endeavour to improve my behaviour in future and have set myself the gold standard mission of never again causing offence, upset or distress to anyone, no matter their weakness of mind body or spirit. I acknowledge that the path to redemption is a long one and can only ask for your forgiveness during these difficult times. End quote. Mo from France requests that his privacy be respected until he decides to return to public life. Right, now that's out of the way, to my west, broadcasting live from Leonard Skinner's Confederate flag manufacturing plant, it's Dr. Lequescence. How you doing, Doc? I'm fine, you all pussy, faggot, pinko, commie sons of bitches. <laughs> you can all suck my dick or lick my balls. That's the only choice you've got. Oh, this, uh, honestly, Doc, did you not hear what I just had to read out? You, you're going to get a knock on the door as well, sunshine. Fuck you all, faggot. <laughs> oh, Doc, it's going to be a long episode if you're going to keep using language like that, sir. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, brother? My 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 southern my southern friend. Um, I'm all good. Uh, sorry, um, I, I I I've been sort of around here a bit too long, and mm -hmm. um, uh, I think possibly the 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 um, the atmosphere just sort of soaked into me a bit too much. Yeah, are you, are you enjoying your time? Um, always had a lot of time for the south. Mm -hmm. um, spent um, a, a great deal of time in um, uh, in the Carolinas. Um, in my, I was going to say my misspent youth. It wasn't particularly misspent. Um, yeah, um, generally speaking, um, charming people. Very, very, very hot weather. Um, mm -hmm. Unbelievably hot weather, um, and very good food. Muggy too, I guess. A bit muggy. Um, I mean, I, I, how many cliches can I sort of possibly uh, rope into this? Um, I think the method of enhanced interrogation employed by certain branches of the U.S. Armed Forces 
mm-hmm. um, probably ended up being waterboarding because that's actually what it feels like sort of walking around in South Carolina in the summertime. Yeah, it's like, um, like, like you're breathing pure fluid. Well, yeah, uh, it feels exactly like someone's like holding a towel that's been soaked in warm water over your face all yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for obviously for people such as us who uh, grew up in the frozen north, um, it can take take a little bit of getting used to, if indeed you ever do get used to it. What are you doing there, Doc? Um, <clears throat> I'm actually looking for some legendary long-lost Leonard Skinner recordings. Mm. <clears throat> um, don't know anything about them, um, except they're legendary and they're long-lost. Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, and that was enough. Um, that was enough for you to jump on the plane. Well, yeah, um, and um, I thought I'd if if I could actually encounter any members of the band, uh, mm. I might get I might be able to get some lessons in beard growing. Mm. Mm. Do, do they ride Harley's? Skin it in my head, they do. Do they what? Sorry. Do they ride Harley's? Harley Davidsons. Um, I get the idea like motorcycles are, are, are much more of a West Coast thing. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Uh, um, I've only ever seen them around their tour bus, but um, mm. I imagine in their private lives that they, they, they probably each have an orange Dodge Charger. Yeah, but I mean, maybe I'm mixing them up with um, the, the, those other bearded uh, gentlemen, ZZ Top. I, I imagine them cruising around on a hog. Um, I think the members of ZZ Top, um, according to some of their publicity photographs, um, Billy Gibbons, the um, singer and guitar player, um, used to ride some sort of ridiculous chopper mm. um, and the other two members of the band followed behind in some sort of like ridiculous um, I think it's even on the cover of one of their albums it's it, it's probably not a Buick it's it's something like a Buick but one mm-hmm. of those typical late 40s huge US cars yeah except the the, the, the roof of the passenger compartment has been lowered mm. And it's probably got like a 450 litre engine in it generating 10,000 horsepower or something like that. <laughs> Is it me or ZZ Top, despite what their kind of track listing claims? They've, they've only really got one song, haven't they? Tush, I think, is the one that everyone knows. Mm. <laughs> That might be because, oh, you mean as in everything they do sounds exactly, exactly. the same. Exactly, you know, a bit, a bit like status quo, you know, after their first album, you know, the quo kind of fell into a groove where every every track almost sounds the same. I think you could make a case for ZZ Top being the American status quo. How about that? Yeah, yeah, I never thought of that, of that really. I'm not, I mean, I'm not particularly familiar with them, to be honest. I, I kind of remember them in the early days of MTV, but I, I, I didn't really pay them much attention. A lot like the mighty quo. Mm. Um, they've they've got a sound which kind of seems to be very generic, but the more you think about it, nobody else sounds like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet yeah, they've only got one song. <laughs> and the big thing is that they've 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 got their own fans mm. who aren't really into any other music in the world. Um, and not like 
most of the bands that I like, it's not a couple hundred people. Um, yeah. They've got lots of fans, and I think they could easily hold down like 20,000 people. Yeah, there are a few rock bands like that, aren't there? You know, I think ACDC are quite similar. I'd even make a case for Metallica being a similar band, you know, where there are Metallica fans who just don't listen to any, any other metal bands. And Iron Maiden too. Oh, Maiden, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe you're right. Yeah. So they're, they're, I always find it a bit that a bit curious, but each to their own. Well, ACDC, of course, were unique because they're, they're, they're very much stuck out at that end of the world. And they were kind of out there by themselves for a mm. long time. Mm. Yeah, because they. It, it always astonishes me, you know, when, 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 when I discover the the date that these kind of bands formed. Because ACDC, you're going back to the sixties, aren't you, Doc? I wouldn't be surprised to learn it was 65 or 66. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is quite remarkable, quite remarkable. Um, talking of music and stuff, uh, what have we been listening to this week, Doc? <laughs> um, well, I've listened to The Key by Nocturnus. <laughs> of course, yes, there we go, uh, the weekly mention. <laughs> That is actually a complete lie, but um, <laughs> since I'm now contractually obligated to um, mention the key by Nocturnus <laughs> in every single episode, at least once, yeah. um, I couldn't resist that. Um, since we mentioned it last time, I have actually felt the need, the growing urge, to listen to the key by Nocturnus, but I didn't. Not the, um, I've been listening to a, a couple of my new favourites, mate. Um, as you know, I have a great fondness for early 90s um, primitive black metal from Scandinavia. Oh, yes. And I sort of assumed that that kind of thing had gone away. Um, and um, nowadays people were wasting time with keyboards mm. and ambient structures. Um, but no, it turns out there are lots of primitive black metal mm. bands. Mm. Lots and lots of them. Um, and I've been listening to some Necrogoat this week. Oh, wow. Oh, you're, and you're, oh, this is your goat obsession rearing his head again, isn't it, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh, definitely. Um, so I, 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 I got the horn for some goat metal this Very week. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tell us about Necrogoat. Well... If you can imagine, if you have any conception in your mind, and anyone listening to this, I'm assuming they do, if you have any conception in your mind as to what primitive black metal from the early 90s sounds like, mm. then you already know what Necrogoat sounds like. <laughs> yeah. I literally do not need um, If you don't have that conception in your mind, then I can't explain it to you, except possibly by going... <laughs> and... <laughs> 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 have you got an album title or, or track recommendation for me doc so i can find something to drop in at this point um yeah uh, praise to the infernal goat oh great <laughs> absolutely brilliant yep there we go uh
what I like about it the most is that um, it's it's incredibly amateurish mm. and enthusiastic in a way that I didn't think you really got anymore. Mm. Um, so it really um, it has the the look and feel of an artifact from the early 1990s, but in a way that I get the impression that these people decided they were going to make an album um, and they made an album using the way that they thought best, probably using a tape recorder and a very cheap mixer. Yep. And then they decided they needed an album cover and they made an album cover by um, getting a single use camera from a convenience store. Um, and, presume, uh, and, and photographing the satanic altar that one of them presumably has in his bedroom. Um, and, I mean, the sound quality is horrible. Um, the album art is horrible. Mm. But point number one, um, it's so charmingly enthusiastic, just the, the, the naivety which, with, with which they've done it. Um, and secondly... Actually, if you're interested in listening to primitive black metal, then complaining about things being cheap and badly produced and horrible should be the least of your worries. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That's kind of de rigueur, isn't it, for that particular genre? I'm looking at their um, Encyclopedia Metallum page as we're speaking about this, Doc. I'm very surprised to see that they hail from Germany. I just assumed they were true cavalt Norwegian black metal. Um, that's actually news to me. I mm. don't know why. I, I thought they were from Greece. Oh, wow. Well, okay. You know, so, so I'm looking at the page. It, um, country of origin, Germany. Uh, Warburg, specifically, in the North Rhine. Um, lyrical themes, Doc? Do, do you want to have a stab? we got we, we got three. Um, well, goats. <laughs> it doesn't mention goats, I believe. <laughs> okay. Well, <that's laughs> Satan. Satanism, yeah. Um... Your favourite as well, the one that you always mention, is, is in the list. Darkness. Darkness is there, which is great. And, and I assume nuns as well. <laughs> well, I mean, nuns practice sometimes these things. Rituals is the third one. Oh. <laughs> oh wow. Um, I thought we were going to get very, very specific there and say ritual nun masturbation. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what they're implying. Um, they've, they've only got one album, which is For the Glory of the Infernal Goat. That, that dropped in 2009, so 12 years ago. Still active, apparently, but they've, they've put no, nothing out since 2015, which was an EP called Full Moon Witchery. Um, so anyone interested in, in, in the doc's glowing recommendation, get out there and get yourself some Necro Goat. I want a T-shirt with that on it. <laughs> Can you imagine Tony Blackburn making that, that, that announcement on, on Radio 1? Um, my um, music of choice this week has been uh, the... Let me just check which country they're from. I think... Oh, by coincidence, these are German too, Doc. Um, the, the absolutely sensational kind of doomy gothic metal band, The Vision Bleak. And, and any familiarity, Doc? No. No. Name. Yeah, it's a great name. Um, th these guys have been kicking around since 2004, um, still pumping albums out. Um, I think they're up to their sixth or seventh by now. Uh, the album in particular that I've been listening to is their debut effort, which is called... Well, a great title. The Death Ship Has a New Captain. Nine Songs of Death, Doom and Horror. Brilliant. Um, and the track in particular that I, I would recommend for movies is called Elizabeth Dane. It's the fifth track off that album. 11.55. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. 
I think you'd like it, Doc. It, it, it's got a real kind of nice, heavy, gothic guitars going on. Very doomy as well. And it, it, it samples the main melody from the John Carpenter movie, The Fog. Um, oh. Which is where, that, the, where the title of the track comes from, because that's the name of the ship that those poor, wretched sailors um, were on before they came to that small California town to wreak their Rwenge, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, go and check that out, guys. No corrections today. Um, <clears throat> and that's not because I've been lazy. I haven't bothered doing the editing work. But it's just because we've been absolutely sublime in our efforts, Doc. How about that? Of course, we're so fucking good. Because we're so great. Um, topic time. Give me a number, Doc, between one and four. Um, two, please. Okay. Um, how important are... I mean, this is a, a funny question, given the band you've just been talking about. Um, <laughs> how important are production standards to you? And can high production values actually ruin things? What do we think about this? Um, production standards of all kinds are very, very, very important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we started off talking about primitive black metal. Mm. Um Primitive black metal is completely ruined by high production standards. Yeah. Um, I'm afraid, and if you want a controversial statement, mate, I'm about to make one. I have a really, really hard time with Emperor. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. their production values are too good. Yeah, I mean, I must be honest, the last time I listened to Emperor was probably four or five years ago, and I was surprised by just, you know, just kind of how, in quote, good it sounds, um, because my memory was of that kind of, you know, kind of blizzard blasting guitar sound, you know, with, with, with you know, a drum kit that sounds like it's being recorded in somebody's basement. Um, but no, it's not like that at all, is it? No, not. Um, I mean, for the in the night side Eclipse album. Uh, yeah. Once you get past the fact that it is black metal. Yeah. 
um, and yeah, the, 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 it's really, really well produced. Yeah, and, and was that the case? You know, right, right from the from the start of their, you know, their their their, their musical career. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure I've got this right. They had an unreleased demo released after they kind of after they hit the big time, mate. Um, after well, uh, let's, Emperor let's, international rock stars. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I'm looking here at their uh, discography. So, but in the Night Side Eclipse is their first uh, full length offering, and before yeah. that, you had you had a demo called Wrath of the Tyrant that was in '92. Then you had an EP called just called Emperor, um, and then. That was in 93, and also in 93, they did a split, um, which is Emperor and Hordainese Land is the other band on that particular split. I've never heard of those guys. That was in 93, too. And then their first al their first album proper came in 94. Um, so they've been knocking around for a, a long old time, haven't they, Doc? Yeah, they have. Um, Wrath of the Tyrant is, um, I think, probably... That that might be the thing they'd like to forget nowadays. It's very very obviously hanging on the coattails of um, mayhem and specifically Dark Throne. Yeah. Um, so uh, no, they didn't always sound like in the Nightside Eclipse. Mm. I mean, um, I'm I'm on the, 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 the you know the the Encyclopedia Metallum page here, but their genre and, and maybe this explains it, Doc. You, the, the, their genre classification is symphonic black metal. Now I do associate symphonic black metal with good production standards definitely i do not associate primitive black metal with good production standards yeah i mean it, it's it's fair enough to say that you know um in any other kind of music uh, it's completely acceptable to change genres and change styles but as you know black metal has always had this massive preoccupation with like a true true till death and yeah you must because um you, you 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 must pick your side and stand by it yeah, because th these guys are contemporaries of one of my favourites, Dimu Borgia, aren't they? Um, they're uh, they're back in the days, mate. They're, they're, they're contemporaries of Mayhem and Dark Throne. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, there's there's no um, possibility that you can accuse them of being come ladies or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they, these are all they're all part of the that initial wave, weren't they? Um, mm. I, but, but, uh, I've, I think Dimu Borgi has suffered the same kind of almost fate as Emperor, um, where, you know, like the, the, the purists absolutely loved their first album or maybe their first couple of albums. But then as they became kind of more experimental and more accessible, I suppose, you know, they, 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 they started lambasting them. Right. Um, Dimu Borgia particularly came a cropper because of a piece of really bad timing. Now, I don't think they were copying anybody. Mm. Um, I think... And, you know, this, this is completely understandable. Um, two different bands with nothing to do with each other had the same idea at the same time and through mm -hmm. a piece of really bad timing. Um, it, it looked very, very much like um, Dimmu Borgia ditched their original style and started copying Cradle of Filth. Sure. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. I mean, there's, there's definite similarities, no doubt about it. I find it, I find it hard to believe that, 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 you know, somebody that likes the filth don't like Dimmu Borgia and vice versa. Yeah, so I mean, I, I I think they were really victims of bad timing there. Mm, uh, mm. I, um, I mean, you know, let's face it, 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 it's it's not out of the question, is it, that two different bands could decide to have a change in style and they could end up fixating on like changing style to something very very similar. Yeah, yeah, and and, and they really are. I mean, if if you listen to um, 
what's the album doc with uh, morning palace enthroned darkness triumphant uh, you know hmm. hasn't heard you can have a listen to that and then you know pick up um maybe vampire from cradle of filth you know put those on back to back You know, and, and then play a game of spot the difference. It, it, it's a tough game. So, I, yeah, um, and I think that's why Dimibogia was sort of consistently greeted with sort of suspicion and cynicism. Mm. Um, and, yeah, just bad luck. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, the obvious, obvious accusations of selling out of, abounded throughout their career, but, I mean, they're one of my firm favourites, so if anybody wants to sell out and sound as fucking good at that, it's okay by me, Doc. Yeah, so, I mean, originally you asked me, can, can, can good production ruin something? Yeah. Um, yeah, I absolutely think it can. Mm. Um, in metal, far less than others, we should probably mention Slayer in the context of this sure. as well. Um, the first Slayer album is not very well produced, and mm. I've gone back to it a couple of times since we rapped on yeah. that album. And I mean, since 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 we finished up, since, since we finished up talking about the album, um, <laughs> I do, I don't mean that you and me actually uh, jumped on the <laughs> mic and spat some bars on that. <laughs> no, album. we didn't. No, we did. <laughs> no, we did. We didn't roast each other, did we, Doc? No. Um, I mean, the, the, um, it might be something to do in the future, but um, <laughs> yeah, look forward to that, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Lequessence and Mo from France spitting out, spitting out some, um, what would the word be? I can't, you know, I'm so bad at rap, I can't even think of the fucking word. Well, I, I, I think what we would have to do, um, uh, we'd each have to do some styling and then mm. a battle. Okay, sure. You do a rap battle. A rap battle yeah. roast, preferably. They're, they're the ones yeah. I like. Um, maybe segueing into a Royal Cage Rumble. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. yeah. Let's do that. Let's chalk that in for 2023. Give me a bit of time to practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Um, I've gone back to that album, and one of the things I've gone back is, is, is thinking, I really like the songs, and how much would they be improved by being able to go back in the studio and record them with a decent budget? Mm. And there's a difference here between a decent budget and much better production values. I think that album would be massively improved by point number one, just some de hiring some decent microphones for the drum set. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or possibly yeah. just even hiring a better drum set. 
Yes. Um, I don't think it would benefit greatly from moving from, a, let's say, moving from eight tracks to 24 tracks. Okay. Or hiring a really expensive producer. Or I, I really don't think it would have benefited from having a lot more time in the studio. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's that urgency and that sense of, like, backs to the wall, we need this in the can. Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. I've got to make a mention of a band called Alfader. Um which I presume means our father in Norwegian, but I'm, I'm, I can't I can't be sure of that. These guys, Norwegian, um, kind of black metal with a bit of kind of epic proggy kind of stuff thrown in. They gave us in 2002. They gave us an EP called "From the Darkest Star." So let's end that. One of the most audaciously original um, pieces of black metal I've ever heard in my life. Production standards are kind of, kind of ropey, um, <clears throat> but weirdly effective. The melodies, they're, they're very, for, for, for this kind of, this, this style of black metal, they are very, very melodic. And somehow they just get a tone on the guitar where the melodies really cut through, even though the production standards are quite low. But then by the time we get to their second like proper album, which is called Black Blood Flux, suddenly you know the, the production is all bells and whistles and all that spikiness and you know kind of you know anxious feeling that the music gives you is is just taken away and stripped away from it and you know even though ostensibly they're playing the same kind of music the, the impact is, is is just so blunted by the, by the by the quality of the production it's really mystifying though yeah um that can happen to um I, I need to bring this up there's an album which is consistently brought up as um there's there's, there's always controversy in, in in fan circles about would the first iron maiden album mm. um have been improved by having more time and money
far as I can work this out, um, Adrian Smith always insisted that it wouldn't. Um, and uh, Steve Harris always insisted that it would. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a good question because it, you know, it, it, I mean, it's well produced, but it's certainly not uh, you know as polished as their latest stuff. And Maiden are a funny band, aren't they? I mean, that the, that two album period when Adrian had gone, Bruce had gone, and been replaced by Blaze Bailey. Um, you know, but I would say by every kind of measurable metric, those albums are 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 better produced than let's say their first three albums, maybe even four if we if, you, if we go up to piece them more. Because it's not really until we get to somewhere in time where the the production standards are you know kind of stellar. So, the, so those two Blaze albums undeniably are better produced, but my God, they're so kind of soft and tame. It, it, again, it's this kind of just kind of blunting off the edges. It's strange. <laughs> You get into the territory, and I think it's completely different now. Mm. Um, I think in the time that those albums came out, and I think into the, I think probably until, I think probably until Butch Vig produced Nevermind, and that album came out, there was always an assumption that metal sounded the way it did because of cheap and shoddy production, yeah. and um, that that people really that that all of those bands, if they had time and money, they really wanted to sound like. Um, second time this, this expression's come up in two weeks, they really wanted to sound like very polished 70s AOR. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that the music industry or record company owners or big-time producers, I don't think it ever occurred to them that, that heavy metal was meant to sound like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I suppose if, you know, if, if they couldn't understand the, the genre, if they just couldn't get their heads around it, then you know how, how are they meant to understand how it should be produced yeah i mean i i can really easily imagine like someone who started their career in the 50s and by now and, and by the mid 80s was at corporate exec level yeah um and you know listening to let's well an iron maiden album um mm -hmm. and going you know well can't, can't we find these poor guys um some more money before we put this stuff out on our label i mean sure. listen to this listen to the distortion on that guitar mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's horrible. Get rid of it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Doc, do you think we've uh, do you think we've satisfactorily covered that topic? Um, as you know, anything involving production or studio craft or equipment, or anything, I, I can 
bore the pants off a concrete statue of Stalin. Um, I can literally go on about it all day. So mm. pr probably sort of whip, whip me into line here and we'll, we'll, we'll move on to relevant topics. All right, then, Doc, let's do that. Don't forget, guys, you can contact... Ooh, try it again. Don't forget, guys, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at satanicvercast at gmail.com. And for the perverts, you can go to Facebook uh, at satanicvercast to there. Let's move on. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. A bit different this week, Doc, because obviously we're doing track nine from South of Heaven, which is called Dissident Aggressor. Now, this track, for those that don't know, is actually a cover version of a Judas Priest track. Um, I should have looked up the source, as in the album. Do you know off the top of your head by any chance, Doc, which Priest album this well, comes off? I am staggeringly ignorant about Judas Priest. Yeah. I mean it. Well, let's have a let's have a quick look, and either you vamp for me, Doc, or I'll, I'll make this an edit point. Well, um, it, it's pretty shocking and pretty unforgivable, really. Um, even more than Sabbath um, and Motorhead, um, Judas Priest are my ho uh, hometown black metal uh, heavy metal band. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, they're from the same town as my mom. Wow, mm -hmm. um, and. I mean, and it's 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 not a big place, which means they're probably like a couple of members of um, Judas Priest. I suspect uh, Ken and Glenn um, are probably from within five or ten streets of where my mum grew up. And they're, and they're not dissimilar ages, are they either, Doc? So is, is there a chance that your mum might have known them when they were younger? There's a distinct part. I mean, it, it, it's it's a, Tipton's a little place. It's yeah, not it completely is. out of the question. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, I, I visited Tipton a couple of, two or three years ago, um, not, not as a tourist, it's not, it's not like a hot destination spot. Um, I was there for work and I was, I, I was saying to somebody, you know, wh why doesn't this town celebrate the fact that pre Judas Priest come from here? And this guy was like born and bred in Tipton, didn't have a fucking clue, mate. I, I, was, I was astonished and disgusted in equal measure. It's, it's a Midlands thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, um, the, the West Midlands is... I, I think, um, depending on your point of view, either lackadaisical um, and lazy or diffident and modest. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think you can view both of those characteristics through both of those lenses. Sure. Um, West Midlands people don't, don't, don't boast about much, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's the beginning and end of it. Mm. Because for me, there should be a bloody statue of them in the in in the town square you know um you know i mean where where's uh, uh, coventry is um like european city of culture next mm. year um where's the memorial to napalm death sure uh, yeah where's the um I, I always imagine it should be a like a 2001 style monolith uh where's the um memorial for black sabbath and Birmingham? Mm. Mm. no you're quite right although i think sabbath are on the uh like the birmingham version of the the, the, the Walk of Fame, aren't they? Um, I had no idea there was a Birmingham version mm -hmm. of the Walk of Fame. Apparently there is on Broad Street, yeah, because um, I think I think, I think think either Sabbath or Ozzy are represented. And then you've got the likes of Noddy Holder from Slade. Um, and then Jas I think the only other two that I'm, that I'm sure about is uh, Jasper Carrot, the, like the 70s and 80s comedian, and Frank Skinner. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 
I mean, that's how to show your respect, isn't it? Um, I, do, do they actually have like the brass stars sunk into the paving stones? I think so. There's some there's some kind of version of it, yeah. And and it goes right, right past uh, the nightclub snobs, so you know you, you know it's a classy place. Well, I mean, I was going to say that's how to show your respect to people, isn't it? Um, do something which means their name is going to be pissed and puked on <laughs> by drunk drivers lurching home on a Saturday night. That's right, yeah, because of course, of course, it's on you know the the legendary Broad Street, you know, fight fight to the point kind of place. <laughs> yeah, absolutely great. Um, what 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 were we waffling on about, Doc? Um, I think we're about to talk about a Slayer song. Well, that's right. Yes, that's right. I forgot what we were doing for a second there. I thought we were just having a nice chin wag. Um, So, yeah, so it's going to be a a little bit different. Um, So what uh, what do you think about this, Doc? I'm going to play... I'm going to start with the the original, The Priest, and then I'm going to play the Slayer up to that equivalent point, and and then we'll have a bit of a chat about it. What do you reckon? Well, first things first, that's an excellent idea, but I mm. need to drop a spoiler. Oh, yeah. Um, so, listeners, I suspect, um, and I'm saying this now so that I can be made to look foolish, or I can be maybe even demonstrate to, to know what I'm talking about. I suspect Mo is going to try and make me revise my opinion of this, this, this Slayer track. Ah, I've, I've got no agenda. You know, we'll just see what happens as we, as we, as we go along. Um, let's go. Let's start with a bit of Judas Priest. Hang on, let me get my windows organised correctly. I'm juggling a few plates here, Doc, and, and, and it's early on a Sunday morning. My head's still a bit, a bit heavy from the night before. Here we go. So we'll leave it at that point for the Judas Priest. So far, so new album, wouldn't you agree? Um, yeah, and I love it to bits. Yeah, I, I, I really do love it to bits. <clears throat> mm. um, I mean, it's um, you started off this episode, and uh, uh, ACDC got mentioned very early on. Yeah, um, I think this is the arm of new album where ACDC's really sort of really became. You, um, I'm going to call it. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to call it Commonwealth Backwash. Mm. So effectively, you have a wave of influence that spreads out from the homeland and washes over um, the former dependencies mm-hmm. and then washes back and brings a whole chunk of influence back with it. And the lasting influence of ACDC is um, what um, more polite people called um, blue-collar metal yeah. um, and other people called bricky metal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I've definitely heard it called working class metal. Um, and I, 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 um, I actually find bricky metal to be a, 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 a lot less patronising than the mm. first one. Mm. Um, 
because I mean, uh, point number one: um, in what way is all metal not working class? Sure. Is, is, um, is there such a thing as as, as middle class metal? Is, uh -huh. is, is there a thing as bourgeois metal? I've got no idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I took pretentious asses like dream theatre into that particular circle. Yeah. What do you think about that? Okay, you got me. Yeah, yeah, about that. Um, yeah, I was, I was sort of going to joke and say I'm uh, I'm pretty sure that since they got mentioned as well, I'm pretty sure people like Cradle of Filth consider themselves to be aristocratic metal. Oh yes, that's a good point, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah quite quite bourgeois. Um, well, no, much much more than um, bourgeois. I mean that they they all give themselves aristocratic names and call themselves mm. Lord something and Lady something. Yes, and uh, Baron is particularly yes. popular, I think. I do, I, I do like the, 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 the audacity of somebody to give themselves a moniker and include the title Baron. I think it's great. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think it's even better when it's some whiny little prick from Essex. <laughs> <laughs> About five foot um, four, I think Danny Filth is, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's only a little bit. And when he's been interviewed, he sounds like this all the time. <laughs> talks yeah. about uh, our music expresses supreme vampiric evil. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I, I remember him being on uh, Nevermind the Buzzcocks. They absolutely ripped the piss out of him. And, and, <laughs> but but he, he, he took it well. Fair play to the guy. He took it in his stride. His tiny, <laughs> tiny little stride. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's... Um, he he knows how to work with the establishment media now, doesn't he? Mm, yeah. Mm. Um, I've, anyway. I've got a bit of a fondness for him, I'll be honest. Oh, so have I. Yeah. Um, but I, I think more importantly, I really like the idea that, that you, you can be from somewhere like Colchester or Braintree and, or, or something and call, and, uh, call yourself Baron Nagash. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's great. Um, should should um, we have a listen to the, the Slayer rendition up to the same point as we've got with the, with the Priest? Yeah. Here we go. So a very, a much more truncated kind of intro section. Like you pretty much did away with with that section for for their version. Um, what about the sound, Doc? How, how do they differ in your in your mind, or, or do they at all? Well, just so listeners know, um, Mo gives me a list of questions to pick from. I give him a number, and I don't know what the question's going to be. Um, it seems a remarkable coincidence to me that Mo asked me a question about can good production values really ruin things? And yes, you just heard that? it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wasn't orchestrated at all. You know, that was totally, you picked that totally at random. Um, so straight away, you 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 prefer the priest. Well, the the Slayer one is it's too sophisticated. It's mm. too polished. It's mm -hmm. too disciplined. Um, you know, the priest one still. So deep in the bowels of that priest track, you can still hear someone um, banging two house bricks together and somebody else. Um, banging a length of scaffold pole with a spanner or something it, it's it thuds um mm. it's music for mid-paced head banging mm. now, it, um, it, interestingly they're, they're, they're kind of the two bands are kind of in, in in a similar position in their careers um obviously you know the, the this is on the on slayer's fourth fourth album whereas 
the priest um one was on their third album just for just for clarification it's off the album called sin after sin it's in fact the last track um and that was released in 1977 um but yes, yeah, certainly in terms of you know production standards, the, the, the Slayer one is, is far superior. Um, now, do, do you think, Doc, that's you know to do with Slayer spending more money on producing this album, or do you just think that's the difference that, that the eleven years that had passed between the two album releases? Um, I think it's Slayer being better musicians. Oh yeah, uh huh. Um, I yeah. mean. You, you'd say that Jeff and Kerry are, are, are kind of better guitarists than old K.K. Dowling and Glenn Tipton? Um, I think in a guitarist versus guitarist duel, mm. um, it might be a very, very close run thing, but mm. um, I, I, I think the rhythm section in Slayer is better. Sure. Um, I Inevitably, I can't help thinking that there's an economy in tightness um, that just comes from having a singer who plays an instrument as opposed mm. to a singer, just a singer. Yeah. That's an interesting point, Doc. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think if the, if the guy doing the vocals is, is, is also a musician, they're wired into the composition or the arrangement that a, a singer can never quite be. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, with, with few exceptions, Normally, if the singer's playing um, guitar or bass, you know their their vocal delivery is affected by the the, like the patterns of the riffs. I mean, there are some exceptions. I'm thinking of uh, I've forgotten his name again. The the, the Manic Street Preachers lead singer, James, yeah, James Dean, Dean Bradfield. James Dean Bradfield. You know, because his vocal delivery is just so out of kilter with what he's playing on the guitar. It's, it is remarkable at times that he can he can do really the is. two things. You know, that he can do the two things at the same time. Um, in metal, I'd, I'd throw James Hetfield into that category as well. You know, sometimes, you know, if you try and learn a Metallica song and then try and sing it as well, well, you know, it's a bit of a head scratcher how he does it. But in general, that's not the case, is it? You know, the the the, the you know the vocal delivery is defined by the riffs. Um, yeah, because I mean, it, if if you're a musician at all, um, you. The way in which you the way in which you write a song is to sit down and tinker with your instrument of choice, mm. um, and you try and pick out a riff. I've never been in a band that's or a, a musical project that's had um, a singer who's nothing but a singer. And I, mm -hmm. I, I'd be really interested to know um, how people do uh, um, how that songwriting process works. I mean, does does the singer go in with some lyrics and no idea, or, or does the singer go in with some lyrics and a vocal melody? Mm -hmm. Um, in other words, does, does the singer stand in front of the rest of the band and go, I've written this song and it sounds like this and sings it. Yeah. And then the guitarist try and pick, tries, tries to pick out the tune. Mm. Um, I've got no idea how that process works. I have been in a band where we had a separate vocalist that was not me. Um, but we, we, it was too short-lived lived a project for me to actually get involved in the songwriting process. Yeah. Um, so you know, the, the, even though I've been in that kind of situation, I've never actually experienced that part of the that part of the the, the mechanics, you know, the behind the scenes. Um, I mean, I would I would presume that the the the, like the the musician the musicians would kind of craft some kind of basic framework of of the track, and then the vocal and then it's like the vocalist's job to to to, to match his or her lyrics to the structure. I mean, that, that, but that's a wild assumption, though. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm sort of out on a limb here talking about stuff that I literally know nothing about. Yeah, yeah. And so if anyone has any experience of this, we, 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 we'd, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear how that, um, that songwriting process works. Sure. But as to how it reflects on that song, um, all of that stuff I, I really actually think is true. Um, and mm. I think it harms the song. I think one of the most endearing aspects to me about Nawabam and its descendants um, is this business that they are, um, the timing is sloppy. I love my tight playing as much as anybody else does. Uh, but one of the things I find really charming about New Wave of British Heavy Metal is um, it, it does groove, it does roll, um, it's not brutally disciplined. Sure. Things do drift in and out of time, and I think that's one of the things that contributes to the heaviness. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Doc. I don't think anybody's kind of pointing at a, a Witchfinder general album, you know, as, as, as a shining example of, of excellent production, you know? Witchfinder general were another band that I was thinking of at precisely that moment. Yeah, how about that? Um, let's see what happens next in The Priest. Here we go. <laughs> It up, Doc. It doesn't matter. Uh, we've got a little bit of Slayer's version there, but I'll, I'll, I'll crank that back a few seconds. Um, so let's get the Slayer one to the same position, and then we'll we'll chat a bit more. So there we go. We've we, you know we, we, we've heard the the first verse and chorus from from both bands. Um, give me your thoughts, Doc. Right. I know we're not talking about the lyrics at this point of the episode, but um, my assumption is that the song is about some sort of hallucinogenic or acid ritual in the California desert. Okay. Uh huh. And the peculiar thing to me is that the band who are actually from California are the ones who don't seem to be able to get the stone-spaced hallucinogenic vibe. Yeah. Um, and the band who are from a particularly grimy industrial suburb mm. of um, the black country. I, I think the priest version just sounds more spacious. It sounds more out there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's more ambient, isn't it? Um, there's, it, it, it's kind of got more room to breathe almost. There's, there's, yeah. There just seems to be more space between... You know, between the notes and you know, and, and also between like the instruments and the vocals. I mean, maybe you know that's just because Rob Halford is is, is such a is such a super, you know technically he's such a superior singer in comparison to Tom. God bless him. You, you know, and 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 maybe the fact that his his voice, I mean, just evidently suits this song so much more than than Tom's ever possibly. He's, I mean, put. Poor old Tom, he's on a bit of a hiding to nothing here, isn't he, Doc? 
I think one of the conclusions, and obviously this will, this will wait properly until the wrap-up episode, but one of the conclusions we're coming to is that this is a bold album with some bad choices on it, isn't it? Mm. I think so. And I, I, for me, you know, the, the, this is the worst of a bunch of bad choices. Um, I, I have no, I have no comprehension of, of why they chose to, of why they chose to do this. It, 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 it's always, it's always puzzled me, and it still does. I, can you, can you throw any light on it, Doc? Have you got any speculation as to why on earth they chose to cover this track? Well, it's. One of the very few times you'll ever hear me use the word self-indulgence. Mm. I think they really liked the song and they thought they'd do a cover of it, but yeah. it wasn't enough for them to do a cover of it for fun in their own practice room. They had to make everyone else listen to it too. <laughs> to my life, that, that, that turn of phrase, they had to yeah, like force it on the rest of the world, basically. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it, 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 it's a strange one. Should, should, we, uh, should we press on and, 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 and see what happens next? Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm more interested in the, in, even though it's a, we're doing a Slayer podcast, I'm much more interested in the Priest version. Here we go. Things going on there, Doc. Is that, I mean, there's, there's some kind of phase going on, isn't there? I think it's a phaser and a flanger together. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could definitely I hear so. the, 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 like the guitar phasing in and out. I think, um, it's a very, I think it's a very fast flange and a slightly slower phase. Yeah, yeah, great, Doc. We can't play the. Um, unfortunately, we can't play the "Who's Playing That Solo" game because I could not find. Um, a, a video clip of Slayer playing this track. And well, of course, in the case of Judas Priest, we know who's playing it. Go on, Doctor, okay. inform me. Is it because surely you know both guitarists play play solos, don't they? The solo All of the guitar parts on any Judas Priest track are being played by Glenn Tipton, Oblique Stroke, KK Downing, Twin Guitar Attack. Oh, of course, yes, the, yeah, the, 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 that's right, I forgot the, the gestalt entity that is the twin guitar attack. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that, Doc, yeah, yeah good reminder. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, <laughs> that's amused me. Um, so we know who's playing the solos for Priest, but, but for Slayer, there is no video of them playing it live, and we'll, we'll discover why later. Um, and I couldn't find any any kind of documentation that, 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 that specifically said you know th this is this is jeff playing the solo or this is kerry so we're, we're kind of going to have to guess let's get to the end of the solo section for both priest and and the slayer version here we go <laughs> that one there and we'll we'll catch up we'll we'll, we'll catch the slayer one up to the same point Black and 
I've got to stop it. I hate the chorus to this so much, Doc. It 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 really really aggravates me. Um, in both versions? No, in the Slayer version. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason is the decision to you know to try to replicate Rob Halford's high pitched kind of wail on the guitar. Yeah. That's a very interesting. I, I hadn't actually made that connection, but you're mm. now that I think about it, you're absolutely correct. Mm. Um, what, what, what were they thinking, Doc? What were they thinking? I think what they were latching onto is that uh, the production on the priest track, there's so many effects being used on the vocals and on both guitars and on everything. Um, and I think this was intentional on Priest's part. There's a lot of ambiguity between what's producing the noise that you're hearing at any given moment. Sure. And this comes back to my big problem with the Slayer version. Doing that, like an ambiguity between, is that a very heavily treated vocal? Is that a very heavily treated guitar? Is it a synth? Mm -hmm. Um, Is it a library sound? That's a a, a very, very psychedelic thing to do. Sure. Um, Different drugs in a different culture, but you'll find the exact same thing happening in Jamaican dub as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Where you... um, you'll just hear funny noises. Mm. And um, I imagine in a chemically enhanced state, that kind of thing is, is, is has tremendous impact where you just hear this noise and you've got <coughs> no idea what in the universe is making that noise. Ah. Have you got a track title for me there, Doc, that I can drop in here, just, just so people know what, what we're talking about? Um, I would start with Lot's Wife by Prince Allah. Very good. Very good, listeners. You'll, I'll put that in right now. Rob's kind of high pitch. When when Rob delivers it, 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 it makes sense because that's his voice, and we and we, we yeah. we're used to that, aren't we? Um, I mean, obviously, it's a very distinctive vocal style. I don't think he quite invented it, did he? But kind of, kind of really popularized it in 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 metal. Um, but but we are not used to Slayer kind of going up that high on the guitar just for like one note just yeah and it, it sounds absolutely dreadful doc it's it's shocking and we'll get around we'll, we'll get more into this when we come to discuss the lyrics because i'm really interested in these lyrics now yeah um the priest track is loaded with all of priest's influences which is um uk progressive rock west coast psychedelic rock um, so you can pick up bits of Jefferson Airplane, you can pick up bits mm. of Country Joe and the Fish. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can even pick up bits of The Doors. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it, you mentioned like spaciousness and room to breathe and space between all the instruments. I Explain this to me. Why does, the, why does the Priest version, why does it sound so much more American yeah. than the Slayer <laughs> one? Yeah, that's really, really curious, isn't it? Yeah, that, that, that's that's a great point because it definitely does. 
Yeah. I mean, you referenced the doors there. And I think this, you know, with the exception of the voice, I think this could drop onto, you know, you know, kind of like the back half of, of a Doors album. No problem at all. If, if, if Jim, if uh, what's his name? Jim Morrison was, was, was singing yeah. the words. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, I mean, it, it, it makes you, it, it makes you think of being out in the desert in a yeah. huge muscle car. Um, yeah. And dropping acid and seeing Native American spirits. and Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, I, I can imagine, you're right, Doc. I, I can imagine, you know, kind of, you know, lying on my back on, you know, on a towel in the desert, you know, looking at the stars, listening to this tumbleweed kind of rolling past, you know. Yeah, um, yeah I, I can picture that absolutely perfectly. I, I agree that's the vibe that they capture. I don't think the Slayer one captures any kind of vibe at all. And to me, that's, that's the problem. Well, the Slayer one sounds like the band that should be playing in a shithole pub in Dudley. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Again, a, a bit like last week's track irritated me because I thought it was kind of slapdash and shoddy. I, did, I, I, I get the same vibe off this, really. You know, it's not their song. Obviously, you know, obviously they like the song. Well, certainly, at least Kerry l- likes the song. Um and, you know, they made the decision to put it on the album, but but I, I, it doesn't seem to me like they really put their back into it, Doc. No, it doesn't, does it? Um, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't even have the feeling of a loving tribute to something they greatly admire. Sure, yeah. In fact, what I'm going to do, Doc, I'm going to play the two out from this point. That's all right with you, brother. Of course it is. So there we go. That's the end of uh, Priest's rendition of Distant Aggressor. And here's the ending of Slayer's version. If I had to guess, I'd say that was a Kerry. How about you, Doc? Well, I, this is one of the things I'm really changing my mind about as mm. we're doing this project. At the start of the project, I thought I knew what Kerry King's solo sounded like, and I thought I knew what Jeff Hanneman's solo sounded like. Mm-hmm. Using that model, I would say I've been wrong more times than I've been right. Sure. Um, I'm going to say that's a Kerry. Mm-hmm. But we have no way to confirm or deny, so let's move on. <laughs> I think in a way, you know, they've almost been too 
faithful. I, I know we've said that they haven't captured the vibe, and I, and I do think that's true, they haven't. But I think they've been too faithful in terms of replicating the tempo of the track. It just sounds, because there's no atmosphere to it, because there's no vibe, because there's no feel, being this slow just makes it feel so thunderously ponderous. You know, I mean, it, 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 it's tedious in the extreme. Whereas when the priest one is at this tempo, because it's got that atmosphere, it, 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 it's perfectly fine and, in fact, thoroughly enjoyable. But, but th this is just, it's lifeless, isn't it, Doc? Um, you're absolutely right. It is lifeless. It doesn't really feel like it gets anywhere. Mm. Um, I'm going to stick my neck out here. And one of, what I'm going to say is this. Despite the fact that it has the slower tempo and should therefore be easier for musicians to play, yeah. I don't think Slayer, including their the first album, I don't think Slayer have ever come closer to sounding like they can't play very well. Mm. I mean, I don't hear that personally. What, what makes you say that, Doc? That last section during the solos. Yeah. The rhythm section sound like they're struggling to keep it together. Well, shall, 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 I, shall I reprise it just briefly? Yeah. Here we go. Let's go back. <laughs> You can hear some sloppiness there, can you, Doc? Well, the, the drum fills mm. don't happen at the relevant parts of the solos. Yeah, yeah. A couple of moments in there, and it sounds like, because I, I, I've begun to be able to spot these Lombardo cues now, mm. Dave drops a cue uh, on the drums that it's time to break out of the solo and go back into the rhythm part. Yeah. And it seems like whoever's playing the solo ignores him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't listen to the cue and just carries yeah. on regardless. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, uh, I mean, it sounds, it sounds slapdash. It sounds under-rehearsed. Mm. It sounds like the third or fourth run-through in the practice room. <coughs> Obviously, when, when, when you begin to play a song, you'll struggle through it once and it sounds like crap. And then uh -huh. the smart thing to do is to put it down for that practice and pick it up again in your next practice. Yeah. Try it again. Make sure you've recorded time. it. Make sure you've recorded it, though, Doc, so you don't forget the riffs. Yes. Um, yeah, we've all made that mistake. Yeah. Um, not me, because I've only ever had two bass parts. <laughs> but, <clears throat> um, and this sounds like it's about the fourth, the third or fourth go through. They know where all the parts line up now, uh, but oh my God, it needs some more practice and it needs mm. some more tightening up. Yeah, no, you're quite right, Doc. Let, 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 let's play it out. So there we go. That was track nine from South of Heaven. Um, 
which is, of course, dissident aggressor. Um, it's a bag of shit, isn't it, Doc? Um, there's a point I need to make here, which is, if you think Slayer did a really bad job of doing this kind of track, um, listeners, please now go away. And if you want to hear a more modern, very, very, very US take on what I think Priest were trying to do there, as a compare and contrast, go to um, the track um, Dopes to Infinity by Monster Magnus. familiar with Thumb by Kiss, and now that, um, that is a beast of a tune. Well, I mean, that that's how to do sloppy, mid-paced, heavy as fuck, mm. um, dope and grease-soaked psych metal. Sure, sure. Well, well Kiss, well, I mean, that's, that's like stoner, like full-on stoner doom, isn't it, Doc? Yeah, I mean, you can... Um, <laughs> You can smell the weed and the patchouli oil and the motorcycle axle grease, <laughs> like from a mile off. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a song! What a song that is. So, I mean, obviously, we've already we've already ch chalked this up as a bag of shit. I, I, I do not like the song. Mm. Uh, I do not like the problem with the Slayer style. If you knock your stake in the ground if you build your sound around that level of precision and discipline and tightness, you can't suddenly decide you're going to have a sloppy jam one day. No, no, no. The, the, the pieces just don't fit together. Do they in, in, in that way? You know, you, 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 you can't suddenly be kind of all relaxed and, 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 and slapdash. When normally you're such kind of a well-drilled machine. Yeah, I mean, the, the unless you handpick the best musicians in the world, I, I, the, the only people I can think of who do stuff like this is probably someone like Frank Zappa. Uh, sure. and I, I, I don't even like Frank Zappa very much, but sure. I mean, he, he handpicked musicians who could improvise in real time and keep that tight and play really, really well. Mm. Mm. You don't like Frank, Frank Zappa, Doc, but he's so bloody funny, isn't he? So funny. Um, right. Very important thing to say here. I, I really appreciate the fact that he exists. Um, he's such an important person in terms of artistic expression and freedom of speech. I love the fact that he exists. 
I don't really ever want to listen to a Mothers of Invention album. I'd like to thank the people at the BBC for giving us a chance to do some of the things on television here that they would never let us do in the United States. This song goes out to Tencha and Nacho and Decha. Hi! <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm with you, Doc. I'm with you all the way. Totally agree with every word you've just said. Um, that, get back to this track for me, if you would. Um, what? Why does it exist? It's a really good question. Um, uh, I can really understand why Slayer would want to do um, a, uh, a Jesus Priest cover. Yeah. Um, I think they should have done something like Ram It Down. is a lot closer to their precision drilled tight sort of even uptight style mm. and i think they could have done a really good job with that it's it's such a weird choice on so many ways i, I, I can i can see ram it down now, that definitely predates south of heaven doesn't it i think so yeah i mean i'm pretty sure it does if we're wrong we'll, we'll you know we'll put it in the corrections next week another track that, that came to mind is maybe it's just too obvious and maybe that's why they didn't didn't do it is breaking the law I can definitely hear that in, in, in the Slayer style, you know, where they could just amp up the speed a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, and <clears throat> that, you know, that, that killer melody from Breaking the Law, Jesus Christ. I mean, you can certainly hear Jeff or Kerry bashing that out, can't you? Um, and Dave go, kind of going wild behind the kit as they do so. Um, mean, do you assume they picked this track to cover because it's the most obvious West Coast psych song that Judas Priest ever did, and, and, and fits well, with. We, I, we, we're going to get into this when, when when we get to the lyrics section shortly. I, I, I do have a theory as to why they picked this track, actually, and we'll we'll get into that in the next section. Um, but that's to do with lyrical themes, not the music. So you know why they would pick this musically is is just mystifying to me. Um, well, anything else to say, Doc? Oh, go on. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's another way they could have pulled the iron out of the fire. Yeah. If they'd have, 
if they'd have reconciled the fact that don't do it as a straight cover, um, try to imagine for a second if they'd done this track in the style of the track South of Heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Try to imagine if they'd dropped the speed even more mm-hmm. and made it even more doomy. Because mm-hmm. all of the components of the all of the components are there that they could have reworked and done that. Mm-hmm. And may, I don't know, maybe change, just mix the production up a little bit. You know, I understand that you, you know, you kind of delivering delivering an album, and you want the album to sound consistent. But this is by definition an inconsistent song in terms of you know the feel of the album. So I, you know, I, I think why not mix the production up? Um, so if you did slow it down and make it super doomy, which I think is a great idea, then you could like fatten the guitars up as well, you know, like multi-track the guitars to fuck, make it really fucking like granite heavy. Why not? Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just seems strange to me that if you go back to Show No Mercy, mm. um, got a band who pulled off pretty much half an album of Venom covers and half an album of Judas Priest covers. <laughs> um, yeah. With 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 the serial numbers filed off and enough bits changed to uh, keep the lawyers away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, they do, and they do that really, really well. Mm. And they do that, but they can't seem to do it. It's strange. Um, I have pretty much run out of useful or productive things to say about this. That's all right, Doc. Well, I, I think we've uh, I think we've we've, we've analysed it with our with our usual. Um, level of intensity and weird, weird detail. So let's move on to to the lyrics. Welcome to part three of the show, which we occasionally these days call Evil Speak. Here we're going to read through and dissect the lyrics. Of course, it's a little bit different today because these lyrics are not written by Slayer. They are, in fact, written by um, Rob Halford, uh, delivered the lyrics and... Uh, K.K. Dowling and Glenn Tipton did the music. Um, and of course, we've, we haven't really got many lyrics to talk about, Doc. Verse one, Grand Canyons of Space and Time Universal. My mind is subjected to all. It's drugs, isn't it, Doc? Um, possibly the finest psychedelic science fiction, progressive rock metal lyrics. Mm. Uh, uh, after those two lines, you pretty much don't need to hear any other science fiction, psychedelic, progressive rock ever, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a reference to Grand Canyons. Um, you've, you've, you've got a, a, a reference to the the majesty of the North American natural environment and all of its terrifying beauty mm. and space, space and time universal. You've got a reference to space stuff. <laughs> um, and yeah. my mind is subjected to, I mean, that, that's, that's all you need. That, yeah. Just, yeah I mean, we've got like the, the, the suggestion of either time travel or time dilation as well. Um, yes. I mean, anybody that's taken any kind of psychedelics, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll fully appreciate the the, the, the time distorting effect those uh, particularly wonderful chemicals can have on our brain. Um, yeah, it's all in there, isn't it? In, in, in two short lines, they have just covered the entire spectrum of drug experiences. Well, well psychedelic drug experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. Um, 
chorus. Stab, fight, the hooks to my brain are well in. Stab, fight, I know what I am, I'm Berlin. Now, to me, this, this chorus and then a couple of lines that come later kind of indicate to me why Slayer picked this particular track. Um, I think there, 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 there is... A way to interpret this track that may... Oh, I mean, it's, it is clearly psychedelic and about a, dr a druggy experience. But I think equally, you know, that there are inferences to World War II going on here. Um, I think that's why they picked it, Doc. They're the kind of lyrics that mm. only come out of, I think, the insights... Um, that you get when under the influence of powerful psychedelic drugs. Mm. Um, I can extrapolate at least three different meanings out of the use of the word Berlin. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm genuinely intrigued by this because you know, the, the, with with the exception of my my theory that you know that, that there is a way to interpret this as being about World War Two. What else do you get out of it for me, Doc? Um, I know what I am. I'm Berlin. Mm -hmm. Is if not an explicit reference, it is at least in part a reference to John F. Kennedy's yes. oft-quoted statement, "Ich bin ein Berliner." Yes, yes. Doesn't that comedically? Doesn't that in 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 German? Obviously, in English, that may, that does sound like you know, I am a Berliner. But in German, doesn't it mean something? Like, I am a hot dog or I am a donut. Um, the literal interpretation would be, "I am a little sausage." Um, what, <laughs> yeah, great. What nobody realizes is just um, apparently when people are laughing at that, um, it doesn't occur to them that um, I think that chap John Kennedy was was sort of fairly well known for uh, being a, a, a very um, elegant and witty statesman. Um, what he found a way of doing was um, making actually a fairly device uh, what could have been a fairly divisive statement um, <clears throat> of making a proclamation of solidarity with the people of. West Germany, um, but doing it in a way that made him sound like a gibbering foreign idiot who couldn't speak German properly. Sure. And yeah. what could have been a very inflammatory statement. Um, the people to whom it was addressed knew what he was talking about, mm. but he, he had a lot of plausible deniability. Mm. So you, you, you kind of think he took one for the team there? Um, it's... It's very typical banter that you might expect from a name whose family from that you might expect from a man whose family name is Kennedy. Mm. Um, mm. You, you say something potentially divisive or even potentially offensive, but you you manage you you find a way that it can be laughed off. You find a way that it can be funny. Yeah, and yeah. you find a way of saying that saying it that if you don't find it funny, well, it's you that's got no sense of humour and you that's got a problem. Sure. Yeah, that's great, Doc. Yeah. Any other interpretation? Because you, you said two or three. Um, Berlin, of course, of course, at this point in history was, um, and once again, this spawns two completely interpret two completely different interpretations. Um, it's 
people know about the Berlin Wall, here's something that I don't think people really know nowadays. For a little while, I assumed that Berlin was precisely on the border of East and West Germany and the Berlin Wall passed through, the, or the, the, the border passed through the middle of it. Um, actually, Berlin was completely inside East Germany and West Berlin was a little island. Mm -hmm. So you, you have this conception of um, a roundish thing, like a city, divided in two down the middle, very much like the left and half lobes of the brain. Uh -huh. um, so, and we're, we're, we're into more hippie psychology, um, like acid stuff here, aren't we? Uh, that one, one of the claims made about uh, the correct use of LSD was that it could um, unite the left and half sides of the brain and uh, combine imagination and rationality. Sure. So you've got you've got a you have a mimetic metaphor there. The other thing is you've got an explicitly political reference to this little enclave of friendliness, and some would even say decadence, mm -hmm. completely isolated inside a very large totalitarian mass. Yes. Yes. Mm. Those are the interpretations that I could come up with. Yeah, I like it. I, I, I do like it. Um, I'm, 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 I'm sticking to my guns in terms of. I, I think the interpretation could, you know, could refer to World War Two. Well, I'm, I'm not specifically saying that that it's about World War Two. I think that there is kind of a suggestion that this is about a a Nazi soldier who survived the war is maybe it maybe feels kind of imprisoned in east berlin um, not in east berlin so in, in east germany and <clears throat> you know he, he he's experiencing the, the these kind of psychedelic thoughts due presumably due to ingesting either lsd or mushrooms whatever it happens to be and and and, and he's kind of having flashbacks to his experiences during the Second World War. Um, um, so let's push that a little bit. Yeah. Um, would the psychedelic experience um, come as a, a, a result of scopolamine or um, sodium pentothal injections as part of interrogation? I mean, it's a, it's a good question, um, you, know, whether, you know, whether it's truth drugs being used. That, that's not the way I interpret it. I, 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 think, it, I, I think it is just, like, you, you know, you, your bog standard acid flashback, basically. Um, right. You know, this guy has been traumatised by his experiences during during the war. Um, you know, he's just a regular Joe. He's not a bad guy. Um, possibly he, he had to do some appalling things that, 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 that morally outraged him. And, you know, he's lived with that for the, uh, you know, for the next 10, 15, 20 years, however long it happens to be. And the, and this is the like almost like his breaking point, you know. He, he takes the he takes the hallucinogenics, and that's what kind of tips his brain over. And, and who knows, maybe maybe he'll never come back. Yeah, I mean, it's um, let's see what 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 else we can mine out of that idea. Next verse. If Cracked, blackened memories of unit dispersal. I faced the impregnable wall. Yeah. So, 
how do you think that could fit into my, my, my you know, my, my, my crazy theory? Once again, I, I've got a bunch of different interpretations of this. Mm. Um, going back to your theory, I'm interested in the use of the name Berlin. Um, sure. If it had been Stalingrad, uh, I would have said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the only fighting that took place in Berlin, apart from the carpet bombing, mm. um, was obviously right at the end of World War II, in the summer of 1945. And there was almost none of the, what you might call the regular German army left then. They were mm. all scattered throughout Europe. And the only, the, the, the defence of Berlin was um, being done by uh, the Hitlerjugend, who were young teenage boys. Mm -hmm. um, and the Nazi equivalent of Dad's army, so the, the, the people who were too old or too sick. Yeah, that, that's the Home Guard equivalent, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think the fighting that, 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 that he's kind of uh, recollecting, I don't, I don't think that took place in Berlin. I think in his mind, you know, just kind of Berlin, the, the, the concept of Berlin represents, the, you know, the, like the oppressive, oh, it kind of goes against what you said earlier, Doc, but, you know, in, 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 my, in my head, the concept of Berlin to him, like it, because I presume that was like the seat of government in East Germany at this time, um, and so, and so it kind of it's representative of the of the totalitarian authoritarian government that, that he hates that, that you know that that he blames for um, you know the terrible experiences that that he even though they weren't like directly linked. But in his in his head, he he blamed, and so it's just it, Berlin is a representation of everything that he despises about what yeah, you know so what, what he experienced. Let's go back to an even more literal interpretation. We'll we'll stay on your theme, and we'll apply an even more literal interpretation to it. Mm. In the nineteen seventies, um, Berlin was an ostensibly German city um, that had been chopped up four ways and divided between four occupying powers. Sure. Um. So there was the American sector, the British sector, mm. um, the Soviet sector, mm -hmm. um, and I'm assuming there was, and, and there was a, um, a federal sector, a, a federal German sector as well. Yeah. So uh, if you're saying I am Berlin, mm. um, in the same way as I am the Black Wizards, mm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's the reference to the impregnable wall. Yes. Uh, which obviously has two meanings. There's the, yep. the one that's too obvious to mention, and then there's there's also this 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 sort of hippie psychologist um, idea of the the, the wall, um, which I think is supposed to be a manifestation of your ego or your id, and yep. it, it's it's something you have to try and get over um, in order to escape from your own mind. Most famously expounded in the works of Pink Floyd. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and and this is you know this is this is why you know the, the, I've I've come to this interpretation. I think this wall that this that this this poor characters having to get over are these terrible you know these terrible memories of atrocities that he was forced to even I mean either commit or be witness to uh, that, that that have ruined his life. Um, I think to him that's the wall that he's talking about. Right. Um... I think it'll be really interesting to run both interpretations mm. um, to the end because I, I think there's a lot going on here. Uh, I think there's an absolute explosion of imagination in what, mm. what's actually six lines of lyrics. I know. 
I know it's crazy, isn't it? You know, I, I must be honest, but you know, when when I saw how few lyrics there were, I thought, my God, you know, we, we're going to be done in five minutes. But as usual, Doc, we we we, we, we like to waffle on. Um, last verse. Exploding, reloading, this quest never ending until I give out my last breath. Um, so here again, you know, maybe there's there's a touch of the sense that he's his flashback to these terrible times just, you know, just keeps echoing and echoing in his brain. And, the, and this is consistent with, you know, with 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 the. Like the use of of psychedelics, you you sometimes do get like echo chamber moments that you feel kind of trapped in, and it feels like it will never end. Um, I mean, it might in reality it might only last five minutes, but in in your in your head when you're in this state, it can feel like it's gone on for fucking hours. Um, so I think that's that, that's where he is, and you know, and, and he's just thinking, you know, that until I give out my last breath, this is this is my life now. You know, that this is how it's going to be. I've tried. I've tried to get over that impregnable wall. I've tried to defeat these demons, but I've failed. And and this is going to be the way it is until the day I die. That's how I look at it, Doc. Yeah, um, reloading, um, I also recognise as, as a, a very 70s expression for stuffing more heroin up your arm. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that. It's fascinating how many... If you start to look at anything vaguely science fiction mm. or anything like this from the 1970s, and you'll start to come across expressions that are widely known now, but I suspect would only have been in use on the on the underground in, in, in the underground. Um, sure. If you ever watched The Black Hole, which at mm -hmm. first sight looks like a fairly innocuous film, um, but you'll notice that there's there's drugs references all over the place. Um, yeah. The good yeah. Guy, uh, the good guy's spaceship is uh, shaped like a syringe, um, mm -hmm. and the wow. uh, the, uh, the bad guy lives in a huge hydroponic farm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wonder what he's growing there, Doc. Is that um, Maximilian the robot? Is that the bad? Is that the, the, yeah, the... yeah, yeah? There's, I um, remember. Uh, there's a robot called Maximilian whose weapons are great big razor blades, and of course yeah. he's uh, he's referred to as Max, mm -hmm. and the Max means. Um, having snorted an absolute shitload of cocaine yes yeah that did re really really interesting yeah really interesting uh, how did you interpret this doc before i threw my kind of wacky theory at you i i just assumed it was about drugs <laughs> mm. um the vistas that mind expanding drugs are capable of opening up for people would have who would have had the fairly dreary upbringing that the members of judas priest would have had sure um if you did get so, what would be really interesting to know would what would be really interesting to get to know would be where Judas Priest's touring schedule had taken them to in the world. Mm. I would love to have known what parts of the world they'd been to and what they'd been taking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What 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 they got access to basically as they as they as, as they went around the globe. Well, and what what environments they would have been in. Yeah, sure, sure. It, um, it, Anything else to say on this, Doc? Or have we about squeezed all the life out of these lyrics that we can? I think we can. Um, I don't see that either 
interpretation has to be ruled out. No. I can imagine a situation where um, there was like half a page of scribbled lyrics about the topic that you were talking about. Yeah. And under the influence of some exotic chemicals in some exotic foreign country, they just got psyched to absolute fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I really, really like the lyrics. I think, I think they're wonderful. Um, I've got to bring think- up this... Um, I'm going to bring up this this expression, unit dispersal. Sure. What do you understand by unit dispersal? Well, I mean, the, 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 like in my interpretation, he's talking about his whatever, like his platoon, his brigade, whatever the German word would be for that. Um, you know, he's he, he, he's remembering, effectively marching to wherever they were told to go. So, you know, in, in my head, I'm seeing know different regiments of, of german soldiers just kind of going in different directions dispersing that's the way that i see it in the military context um i would say it's far more likely to be when the when the high command and, and this fits in with your stuff when mm. when the high command is removed or is no more and fundamentally mm. when no one's ever going to get paid ever again um you would sometimes get the order every man for himself and the unit would then disperse wow okay yeah Mm-hmm. So, 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 you know, so, so that's a possibility, isn't it? That suddenly he found himself, and maybe this is kind of the root of the trauma. He, fa- he, you know, he, he'd done these terrible, th- these terrible deeds. Maybe at the time, he thought that they were for the greater good. Um, but then, you know, that every man for himself order comes in, and suddenly he finds himself alone. You know, terrified, uh, traumatized by what by what he's had to do or see. Um, so yeah, I did, I did, yeah. I'm happy to go with that. Um, uh, but then, uh, uh, as usual, there's more. Um, it was also a Nazi euphemism for liquidating a ghetto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you have a large concentration of population of a certain different kind, and you and you want to make them go away, mm. um, the expression used was that you know unit dispersal in the Riga ghetto or unit dispersal in Josephov or something. Sure. Um, and there is another meaning, which is unit dispersal, is how mushrooms reproduce. Yeah, when they actually kind of, when, when the spores kind of squirt into the air, effectively. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. And, and so, yeah, so as you say, that kind of, that, that adds credence to the notion that, you know, kind of both of our, both of our ideas are kind of equally, equally possible, aren't they? Yes. Definitely. Yeah, I think it all dovetails rather, rather nicely, Doc. Are we done? And, uh, yeah, um, I think we can begin to wind up there. Welcome to part four of the show. Here we're just going to offer our final thoughts and summations and discuss anything we might have missed. Uh, writing credits, a bit unusual, of course, this week. Uh, KK Downing and Glenn Tipton. Um, and lyrics by the mighty Rob Halford. Um According to Setlist, for the second week in a row, Doc, this track was played by Slayer zero times live, uh, putting him <laughs> in joint 118th position. No big surprise, is that, Doc? No. No. No, it really isn't. No. Um, according to Loudwire, well, they haven't bothered to write a little review for this track either. Wow. Um, so that's it, really, Doc. Uh, have, have we got anything to say before we, you know, before we deliver our scores? I know it's a short, a short final section this week, but it's, you know, because it's a, it's an unusual tune. Um, it's very, very. I think this is the first time 
I've ever had to come to the conclusion that we're listening to a Slayer track that has no value and yeah. the world would have been better if they'd never done it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't disagree with your sentiment there, Doc. Um, yeah, it, it just, a, just a, a poor, poor decision. Um, and how somebody... I mean, my guess, and of course this is pure speculation, my guess is that this was... Um, the brainchild of Kerry King, you know, because, you know, famously, he's the new, the big new album fan in the band. Um, So I presume he loved the track and he wanted to, you know, to do this track for the reasons we've, we've discussed. Um, You know, why somebody be one of the other band members or the manager or, you know, the producer, the engineer, why somebody down the line didn't, didn't point out, just how inappropriate stylistically the track is it, it, it just will, will forever remain a mystery to me yeah no doubt yeah absolutely yeah any, any final thoughts doc or should we just give our scores and get the hell out of here i will do both mm. so this is getting one loquescent sword wow okay it's, mm-hmm. it's getting one and not zero because in the end, it's inspired me to go back and listen to more Judas Priest from about that era. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Just out of curiosity, if you were, if you were scoring the Priest version, what would you give that, Doc? Oh, God, that would be up there. That would be mm. like seven or eight with no problems. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it curious? So, the, you know, effectively, we've got the same series of notes being played, and yet the delivery... The execution kind of changes changes your opinion so wildly. Isn't that interesting? What changes my opinion so wildly is that the Slayer version has got zero dynamics, zero atmosphere, mm. zero spirit of fun, mm. <clears throat> zero spirit of enjoyment. Um, and for, I, I started off my comments by saying that Slayer was superior musicians. On the strength of their version of this track, you wouldn't think so. Sure, sure. Um, I'm going to give the Slayer version a big fat zero. Um, I've never given a Slayer track zero before. I think it's by far the worst song they ever recorded. Um, I don't know why it exists. I, I always skip it when I'm listening to the album. Um, I would, you know, preferably I would have gone through the rest of my life never hearing it again. Um, but for the sake of this project, you know, I've, I've given it another go. My opinion didn't change. I still think it sucks. I don't understand what they were thinking. So it gets a zero. Um, the Judas Priest one. Yeah, I agree with you, Doc. I've, I've really, really liked the, the Priest version. And I'd probably, I'd probably give, I'd happily give that a seven out of ten. There we go. We were bad, done, aren't we, Doc? Well, there's, there's a couple of just coda notes, really. Yeah. Listeners should know when Mo and I were much younger men. Um, whenever we wanted to heap contempt on something that we thought was particularly badly done or badly executed or we just didn't like, one of us would turn to the other and go, stand, and the other would turn back and go, eh! <laughs> yep, it's true, um, yep. In our youth, <clears throat> this execution of this song was a, a metonymy for things that we disliked a great mm. deal. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it was... The go-to reference for you know, like, like terrible, terrible ideas in music, um, yes. and uh, through the passage of time, it, it seems that neither of our opinion has changed. No, I, I mean, um, if I had to get even more meta, 
um, and come up with another postmodern reference for how much I dislike this track. I will just have to go, dun, dun, da-da-da-da, and then we'll move on. That about does it for this episode. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slytanicvercast at gmail.com. And the perverts can get in touch on Facebook. Um, next time, when we will be discussing the 10th and final track from South of Heaven, which is, of course, Spill the Blood. I'll see you then, Doc. See you later.